You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Second Kings chapter 2 is where we'll be this morning. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stand and read in just a moment. Let me just give you a few um, a few uh, open introductory remarks here. Um, you know, Father's Day is one of those Sundays. You know, you, as a pastor, as a preacher, uh, you don't you're not sure if you're going to plan to preach on the holiday or not. Uh, when it falls on a Sunday, it just seems pretty natural. Father's Day and Mother's Day uh, seem like natural days to preach on the holiday. Um, but that's not really the reason uh, that I'm preaching on Father's Day this morning. Um, I'm preaching on Father's Day because uh, our, our churches and our homes and our country need, needs fathers. I mean, we need dads. And uh, we need dads to step up. And I'm not here to pile on dads today. I'm here to encourage dads uh, this morning to be who God made you to be. And uh, to step up in your family and to step up in, your, in our church, step up in our country. Um, because really, uh, fathers are not just essential, fathers are critical. And, uh, and, and so our culture is trying to kind of tear down the idea of dad. And our culture is trying to kind of downplay the importance and, and, and kind of disrupt or tear apart the, the uh, biblical, you know, they, they call it the nuclear family. I, I call it the biblical family. Uh, because it's the family, the family makeup that God designed from the very beginning, uh, father and mother and children, that's God's design. And when a father is absent, uh, everything tends to fall apart. And I, was, I just read this week uh, a news story that came out. Somebody did some research. And, and uh, again, this is just a few days old. I think because of Father's Day, this came out, this article online. It said 18 and a half million children grow up without their fathers which makes the United States the world leader in fatherlessness. And, and that has impacted our country in countless ways. By the numbers, fatherhood impacts a child in every category. The economic category, in academic achievement, in, in social um, growth. And it's true also in every, in every racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic category. 85% of children and teenagers with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. And I don't know where they got their research. It was published this week. But, and, you know, some of that stuff may be um, different from one resource to another. But 85% with, 80, with behavioral resources come from fatherless homes. Um, according to this, 70% of all adolescent patients in drug and alcohol treatment centers originate from homes without fathers. Children without a father in the home are five times more likely to live in poverty than a child in a two-parent home. Children without fathers at home are nine times more likely to drop out of school. And they represent 90% of all homelessness, of homeless and runaway children. And in the statistics, and, and I don't even have to convince you, you can, you can see these statistics for yourself. And it used to be that these statistics were well received, but now with... with, with uh, the, the direction and with, the, again, the destruction of the concept of the nuclear family, uh, these, these statistics aren't as widely used anymore because 
they point to the fact that fathers are necessary, essential, and critical in homes. And there's a movement now that's trying to get us to be convinced that fathers um, don't even matter. And we're just going to see these statistics get worse and worse. So today's message is really a, it's a principle uh, that every dad needs to strive for. And not just every dad. You'll, you'll find out it's every one of us have an application here. But it has to do with what we pass on to our children. And, when, and I'm not talking about your inheritance. I'm not talking about heirlooms. I'm not talking about your personality traits. I mean, what should we strive to pass on to our children that will impact them the most in their lives? You know, what do we focus on that we say this is the, this is the most important focus? And, and I'd like to use an account here in 2 Kings chapter 2 of the prophets Elijah and Elisha to illustrate this point. And I know it's not a father and son, but in many ways it was a spiritual father and, and his spiritual son, Elijah, to Elisha. There's an older, wiser uh, mentor passing along his passions and his priorities and his responsibilities to the person coming behind him. And so it sounds a lot like fatherhood to me. And, uh, and so I would like to take the principle and and apply it to fathers, and I think we'll see that it does. So in 2 Kings um, chapter 2, 2 Kings chapter 2, let's go ahead and stand as we read this. 2 Kings chapter 2, and uh, we'll read this um, here. I wrote down the wrong passage. I wrote 2 Kings chapter 12. Okay, don't do that. Okay. 2 Kings chapter 2, it says, And Elisha, so this is again, this is after um, Elijah has been mentoring Elisha, and Elisha um, is, is sticking with Elijah, because Elisha knows that something's about to happen. And so e Elijah and Elisha are walking along, Elisha doesn't want, want to miss the moment, and, and then um, you see these things, uh, this, this big deal happen in their life. Look at uh, verse 12, and Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. So right after, let's, let's back up to verse 11. I think, okay, I got my, my bearings here. I wrote down the wrong thing. So verse 11, it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So he goes up into heaven, and here's Elisha's response. Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. So he uses that phrase, that statement, My father, my father. So just in case you're wondering how he views Elijah, My father, my father, it's his spiritual father. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither and Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophets which were to view at Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him 
and bowed themselves to the ground before him. There's a phrase that, that Elisha uses that I want to focus on this morning. When he smites the waters so that they'll part, he says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Elisha wasn't just interested in a mantle. He was interested in the God of the mantle. And I'd like to look at that thought this morning. Father, we need your help. I pray that you'd help me and my mind to be clear. I pray that you'd help our hearts to be receptive. I look around this room and I'm so thankful for many, many good fathers. Thankful for many fathers who do things the right way and are striving to raise children for your glory. And it makes me thankful, God, that I can be around these kind of men. I also know that there were probably some in here who don't feel adequate. All of us, none of us feel adequate, but some who may not have experience, some who are trying to get some things right. I pray that this message would be for them as well. But for every person in here who has others coming behind that we are, we're influencing, God, I pray that this message would be one that, we, that, we, that sticks in our minds and, and, and stays with us because it is absolutely essential that we don't just pass on mantles, that we pass on a relationship with God. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Elijah and Elisha had a unique relationship. Uh, in 1 Kings 19, we're not going to go back and read it, but the Lord very clearly told Elijah that he was to go and anoint Elisha to take his place as a prophet in Israel. And so it, when Elijah found Elisha plowing in the field, he walked by him, and the Bible says that he threw his mantle on him, and, and Elisha immediately dropped everything and ran after Elijah. And it seems like a strange thing to do to... Uh, to leave 12 yoke of oxen just plowing in the field. I mean, can you imagine what people were thinking if they saw this event take place? Elisha's working, he's plowing, Elijah comes by, throws his mantle on him, and Elisha drops everything and follows Elijah because he knew that this was a significant moment. Now, so you, the mantle of Elijah is kind of the focus today, and, and I'm just going to call, uh, I'm, we're just going to say that the mantle is like an overcoat. It's, it's an overcoat, essentially. It obviously wouldn't have looked like this, but the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for Elijah's mantle uh, comes from these root words that mean glory and splendor and magnificent. And so God, the mantle represents God's power and authority. And, and Elijah was wearing it because Elijah was the prophet of God and, and he was the man that represented God to the people and so when he cast his mantle on Elisha that day Elisha ran after him knowing that that the symbol for God's authority had just been had just been symbolically passed to him he knew that the mantle was cast on him uh, because he was going to take Elijah's place as God's prophet it was a ceremonial symbol or, or a, of a transfer of authority and, and and so when he cast it on Elisha Elisha took it very seriously so from that time then, Elisha followed Elijah and ministered to him. He served him. He, he helped take care of him. He was, his, uh, he was his assistant, you might call him. And, and Elijah was the mentor and Elisha was, was the trainee. He was the, the, one, the pupil. He was the one being tutored. And, and so by the time we get into 2 Kings chapter 2, 
Um, it's well known that Elijah is about to leave. God is a, God's about to take Elijah out. Look at the verse three, first three verses of this chapter. So 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said, these are great words, Elisha said unto him, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. That's a great, a, a great phrase. If you're a young person and you have a godly person uh, mentoring you that is trying to influence you, um, that you ought to be careful not to just discard their influence, especially when you're young, to discard their influences and chase after your peers. Because Elisha probably had friends, he probably had guys his age, and yet when it came down to it, he knew the most valuable thing for him to do was to park himself under somebody that knew God and loved God and had his best in mind and said, let, let all them play over there. I'm sticking with you, Elijah. As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee, he says. And he does that actually three times in this chapter. In verse 2, Elijah said, I'm going to Bethel. In verse 4, Elijah said, I'm going to Jericho. In verse 6, Elijah said, I'm going to go to the Jordan River. And all three times, Elisha says, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And, and, and there's probably some reasons, obviously, that he says that. But, but I believe that part of it is he doesn't want to miss out on whatever God is going to do when, they, when the transfer of authority takes place. Look at verse 3. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elijah, Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. So we don't know how, so there's a school of the prophets that Elijah obviously was investing in and teaching or you know, training on some level. And, and they came to Elisha and they said, um, didn't you know that Elijah, um, he's going to be leaving today. God's going to take him. I don't know how they knew it. I don't know if Elijah tweeted that morning and said, today's the day. And, you know, who knows? I don't know. But, but the prophets knew it and Elisha knew it. And, they, and Elisha knew that he wasn't going to be around forever. As a matter of fact, he wasn't going to be around beyond the day. So when, when Elijah says, hey, i got to go to Bethel, you stay here. He says, no way, I'm not staying here. I want to be with you. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to this place. I'm going to go to that place. He says, no, as the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So the, he, we know that he walked many miles from from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to the Jordan River, at least 20 miles, probably more, just because he was like, I'm not going to miss it. I don't want to miss when this transfer of authority takes place. I take very seriously my responsibility to carry the torch from the one who's going to leave it behind. And young people, I mean, there's so many applications. Of course, I've been preaching at a camp this week, so I want to apply everything to young people today. Um, but you have a very important responsibility to take the torch from those that have carried it faithfully. And that's a reason that you ought to not go chasing what the world is offering or what, what your, the culture and your peers are offering is because at some point there will be a transfer of authority from this generation to your generation and you ought to take it seriously enough that you don't want to miss it. So I'm going to park here. I'm going to be next to this person because God's using them and, 
and I know my peers are having fun, but it's more importantly, to, more important to me is that, that I can be in a position to be used by God in the future to carry the torch. So they travel to Jordan. Look at verse 7. It says, And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. So this is so interesting. So they know Elijah is going to heaven today. They know that this is going to be the last day. And, and they're kind of like in the bushes. They're watching. The Bible says 50 of them. And you know how, you know, how uh, indiscreet young people can be. They, you know, they're probably like in a group of 50 following. And Elijah, every time he stops and turns around, they're like, oh, I don't know what you're doing. Yeah, we're, just, we're just a group of 50 people just standing here on the riverbank. You know, they want to see what's happening. They don't want to miss the action. And, and they know that something big's about to happen. 50 men of the sons of the prophets are standing by Jordan in verse 8. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together. And he smote the waters, the Bible says. And they were divided hither and thither so that they, they too went over on dry ground. So it's, he takes his, his mantle, his overcoat. He rolls it up and then he... Then somehow he smites the water, and when he smites the water, did that wake you up? Okay, good. Yeah, if if one of the, if if Abishua falls or Dave falls asleep, I'm gonna do it right to him and wake him up. You know, he's been on the phone all night. You know, so so the waters split, they divide, and they go across the waters, and it, God performs a miracle. But but I want you to take note that Elijah uses the mantle to do the miracle. The mantle is, is what he, he casts, the, he throws the mantle, he, he divides the water with the mantle. And, and so you might start thinking, and Elisha and these young men may start thinking, man, that mantle, whew, that mantle's got some power. I really wish I had a mantle like that. So after they cross, then Elisha finds out that his determination is a good thing because in verse 9 it says, And came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And Elijah responds and says, uh, he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing nevertheless. If thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. So Elisha staying with Elijah turns out to be a very good thing because Elijah says, if you see me when I'm taken up into heaven, then you can have the double portion. And there's, a, there's some debate about what the double portion means. I mean, I personally believe that it doesn't necessarily mean that Elisha was saying, I want twice as much as the power as you've got. I want way more than what you've got. As much as it was, if you see the word or the phrase double portion in the Old Testament, then you understand that it had to do with the firstborn son. And the firstborn son would get twice as much as any of the other sons. So if you've got three sons in your family, um, then the oldest son, you would take your inheritance and you would divide it by four. So let's say you have three sons and you have $100, which may be about what we leave most of our children, okay? So you've got $100 and you've got, you've got three sons. You would divide your $100 by fours, which would be how much? $25. Okay, then you give two of those portions to your oldest son. So he would have 50 and then sons two and three would have 25. So the oldest son would receive a double portion. Okay, so that's the idea very often when you see the double portion. 
in the Old Testament. It's not just twice as much, um, just a general number. It's no, you would take the inheritance and give the oldest son twice as much. And, and it seems to me like that's the idea that, that whatever the intention was for, for God to give Elisha, Elisha uh, when Elijah left, whatever the portion was, Elisha was basically saying, whatever I'm supposed to give, get, I need more than what I'm supposed to get. Uh, he, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a really, it's really a humble thing to say that he knows he couldn't take, I can't take up your position by myself. I can't do what you're doing without help. I, I don't have it in me. So Elijah, whatever you're trying to give me, could you please just give me twice as much as what you were going to give me? Because if I'm going to stand in your shoes, then I need something. I need God's help. I don't have confidence in myself to become the prophet. I mean, how can you fill Elijah's shoes? How, how could you possibly take up what he has been doing? And, and so Elisha very, very humbly says, I need a double portion. So we know then that our main thoughts begin here in verse 11. It came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So Elijah is taken up. A lot of people think that Elijah says that, you know, that he was taken up by a chariot of fire and horses but the Bible says he was taken up in a whirlwind. I mean, I don't know what the horses were there for. I, that would have been quite a sight. I, the, the 50 guys over by the, on the banks of the Jordan River, they were getting an eyeful, weren't they? These horses, these chariots of fire and these horses of flaming fire come out of the sky and, and uh, divide them asunder. Basically, Elijah and Elisha are kind of split apart and then Elijah is carried up into heaven by a whirlwind. There's a lot to unpack. We're not going to get into all of that today, but... Understandably, then, Elisha is troubled. When he sees this happen, it troubles him. Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more and he took hold of his own clothes and he rent them in two, two pieces. I mean, he's so distraught. And, and, he's, and this is a man that, he's, that has mentored him. For, for a number of years and, and he's watched him and, and learned from him and observed him and he clearly loves Elijah and when they're separated then he's heartbroken by it and, and he watches his mentor disappear and then not only that I believe that part of his anguish in the moment is not just that he's missing then the, his mentor but, but all of those responsibilities have now been dumped onto Elisha I mean, Elijah was a prophet. He would preach and he had to go confront people like Ahab and Jezebel. And I mean, this is heavy stuff. It's a big deal. And Elisha, I believe he feels the weight of it. And it's kind of, I mean, you have those moments in your life where, you know, when you finally feel the weight of something. And you're like, man, okay, this is, now it's real. Like, the, I remember the first time that, that we brought home a... Um, a baby, our baby. You know, when you're in the hospital, and my wife had a C-section, emergency C-section at the very, from the very first one, so all of them were C-sections, and so we stayed in the hospital a couple more days. Um, I mean, not long enough, in my opinion. I'm like, why? So two days, you're going to kick us out of the hospital? What are we supposed to do? I mean, I, I mean, so we get home, and and I'm carrying the baby, and she's kind of walking in gingerly, and and we go, and I remember sitting down on the couch. 
with a baby now. And we're like, what do we, what, what do, we do now? Like, I, I don't know what happens next. And I see, and I knew that there was a responsibility with a baby, but it wasn't until I was carrying that baby in my house and thinking, now it's all me. See, for two or three days, those nurses took care of her. And for two or three days, they were waiting on her hand and foot and waking her up every 30 minutes when she's trying to sleep. You know how that works in the hospital. You know, they were taking care of her. Now it's on us. And I, I'm like, I don't know what to do. In that moment, I felt the weight. I felt the responsibility. I felt the pressure of, you know, this got to fall on me. And I think Elisha, that's where he's at right here. Elijah's gone and he can't ask him for counsel anymore. You know, he can't turn to him and say, what do I do now? He sees him no more, the Bible says. For some reason then, the mantle though is left. Well, for some reason, God was working this out. It says, he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. So Elijah is gone, but the mantle is left. And you know that's got to be some kind of a comfort for Elisha. So yeah, I mean, Elijah's gone, but I mean, this mantle, um, it represents him. It represents God and God's power, and it's a, it, got, it represents God's authority. And I imagine that Elisha guarded this mantle with his life. You know, it was a picture of what God could do through somebody, and I'm going to hold on to this thing. And, and Elisha wants to see similar, similar things to what Elijah did, and and so verse 14, it says, he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, where's the Lord God of Elijah? So he goes up to the waters and he does the same thing and he smites the waters. But he doesn't just smite the waters and walk through them. I mean, yeah, he, he does. He, he, he says, when he had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither and Elisha went over. So they, he, it works. But I want you to notice, though, that he doesn't just say, hey, mantle, do the job. No, he says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? So he doesn't just say, all right, mantle, do the magic that I know you can do. Boom. No, he says, where's the Lord God of Elijah? As if to be the picture of the fact that Elisha knows it's not about the mantle. It's about the God behind the mantle. It's about the God that's represented by the mantle. And, and you, know, you know, I can imagine then, you know, that he picks it up and he may have been tempted at first to just use the mantle. But in his mind, his mentor had trained him to understand that there's something greater behind the coat. There's power behind it. And, and Elijah, and he didn't just smite the waters. He smites, he says, where's the Lord God of Elijah? And he knew that this mantle, without God's help, without God's power, that this mantle was just an overcoat. It was, it was woven like every other coat. And he knew that the mantle and the presence of, and power of God were not one and the same. You see, mantles are great, dads. Mantles are great, mantles are helpful. But without the God that empowers them, they're just coats. And we've got some mantles. And, and I think about the mantles that we carry around and I'm thankful for them. And we've got the mantle of right doctrine. And, and, and by that I mean we, we don't know something nobody else knows. I mean rather than add to the scripture or take away from it, we just believe what the Bible says. 
We, so we have doctrine that's correct. We have the gospel. That's a mantle. We've got, uh, we, we've got a godly influence. Some of us, many of us, have godly influ- influence from our parents. It's a mantle. It's a, it's a gift given to us. We've got, we have the mantle of standards in that we've got these things that, that we do to let people know who we are. And I'm not saying that standards are everything, but standards are something. And the world ought to be able to look at, his, at God's people and say there's something unique about them. There's something distinct about them. I'm not saying it makes us spiritual, but, but if we want to represent God to the world, the easiest way to do that is in our appearance. It's a mantle. We have a mantle of Baptist heritage. We're you know, independent Baptists, and we're thankful for that. We have the mantle of a beautiful building. You look around, and, and it's beautiful, and I'm thankful for it. And we've got a good choir, and we've got strong music, and, and we've got a lot of good things going on for us, and they're all good, and they all matter. But are the mantles what matters the most? See, as great as right doctrine is, we can, without the presence of God in our lives, it's just head knowledge. And as wonderful as the gospel is, if it's not accompanied by God's presence and power, um, how effective is it going to be? What, what good is a building? Or what good are dress standards? Or what, is, what good is music if God isn't involved in it? If we live life without the Lord, how much does the, do the mantles matter? We need to ask the same question, where's the Lord God of Elijah? It's not just the mantles. And the mantles and the power, they're not one and the same. You can have one without the other. You can have the mantle without God's presence. And our first passion should be for God's presence in our lives and God's power in our ministry. The mantles are a result of a relationship with God. They're not the reason for our relationship with God. These don't create the relationship with God. And we must always be more passionate for the God of the mantles than we are the mantles of God. Now, understand as a balance, I'm not saying the mantles don't matter. I've just said they do. But what matters the most is the God behind the mantles. Applications here tonight, today are for dads. I think about dads and, you know, mantles are, are good. I mean, I want my children to have a strong work ethic. I want them to, I want them wherever they are, they're going to go work. I want them to be the ones that work the hardest. And I want them to... To, to have a good testimony and I want them to get good grades in school and I want them to excel at what they're doing whether it be in music or, or in, in playing a sport whatever it is I, I don't want them to do anything halfway I want them to have good spirits I want them to have um, not have a critical spirit I want them to have a good testimony and I want them to dress in a way that pleases God and I want them to be faithful to church that's a lost art in our young people these days I want these things for my children. And I think that most parents in this room, if you're sitting here today, you would agree those things are important. Most of us would agree that we want our children to represent God. We want our children to make a difference for God. But if we teach them to value the mantles over the God of the mantles, then we're giving them objects without power. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, I just read it this morning, after being smitten by the Philistines, the the Israelites said, Let's go fetch the ark. Because they, 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 they lost the battle to the Philistines. And they thought that the ark was all they needed. If they have the ark, they've got a mantle. Let's go back out and let's fight against the Philistines. And they were whooped. 
because the ark doesn't do the trick. The ark is, is a symbol of God's power. They needed God's help. They needed God's power. They needed the presence of God. They didn't just need a symbol of it. See, objects can be mantles. I mean, we look for good kids and we want good grades and we want hard workers and we want them to be involved in church and we want them to be religious and, and be, be active. But without the God behind those mantles, they're just coats. And this morning, dads, I'm challenging you not to raise children that simply put on a coat. Child rearing can be a it can become a checklist, and I don't want my kids to grow up thinking that dad is more passionate about a checklist than he is uh, having a daily passionate walk with Jesus Christ. So how's your walk, dad? How do we expect that our children will be passionate about a relationship? with God if we're not passionate about a relationship with God because we have a tendency to carry the mantles and say that's we're representing God this is God right here and yet it's just a representative it's a symbol but there's the other category as well here today and those of us who have received a mantle see we all have an Elijah we all have people in our lives that have influenced us and everyone in this room just about would say there's somebody that I'm here because somebody influenced me or is influencing me for Christ and that could be your parents I'm thankful that that I had an Elijah growing up that my dad and my mom were representatives and they were sincere about it you we have people that influence us you've got your parents uh, you may have, you have a pastor, you have a youth pastor, you've got church members investing in you, you've got friends that love God and are mature Christians that are investing in you. You may have family members that are investing in you and helping you along. All of us have received mantles, but we can't forget that the life that pleases God most is not found in the objects. If we're counting on something we can see to be that which helps us please God, we are going to be disappointed. Because the life that pleases God is a life of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But faith is the evidence of things not seen. In other words, if you are counting on something that you can see to be that which pleases God, then, then you have it all backwards. You can't see faith. You, and now you can see the result of faith, obviously. Faith produces. Faith works. But it's the only thing that pleases God. And, and you can see the evidence in the mantles, but it starts with a relationship. You've got to understand the difference is that a relationship with God produces the mantles. And it's not the other way around. And we've got mantles. We've got all these things. But none of those ensure that a person has faith that will please God. You can have all the mantles. You can have all the outward appearance. You can go through all the right motions. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you have faith that pleases God. We can have all those things and not have God himself. And if that's the case, then we don't have God's power and we're just spinning our wheels. It's, it'd be like if you go out and you buy a nice big new vehicle and maybe you wanted a big truck. And you say, I want a big truck, I want a loud truck, I want to drive that thing around, and, uh, and I, want to, I want to spend $200 every time I fill it up. <laughs> a while back, I, I didn't make fun of Eric Wong, but I was talking about Eric Wong's Prius, and now Eric Wong looks like a genius, so I'll just say that. <laughs> you know, you go buy a big vehicle, 
um, but, but you, if you don't have money to put gas in it, I mean, it's a symbol, but there's no power. It's a symbol, but there's no movement. And, there, and it looks good, but it doesn't help you produce anything. And that's where we are if we forget that it's not about the mantles, that it's about the God of the mantles. Take seriously the mantles that you've been handed. This isn't about minimizing the standards that we've received because they're, they, they matter, they're, they're important. We need to carry them higher than we ever have in this culture. But if we have the objects without the Lord of the objects, then we are just like the Pharisees. And it's not okay without the presence of God. He makes the mantles worth carrying. It's not the other way around. I was thinking about this message, and I'm just going to be reflective here. I was thinking about this message in my, my own dad. And I was thinking about the things that my, my dad have, has taught me, and um, I'm thankful for my dad. He's, you know, we still communicate at least once a week, and and we still have a good, a good relationship, and I wouldn't trade it. The older I get, the more I realize how much I love my dad. I also realize the more, um, the older I get, I'm, the, I realize the more I'm like my dad. And every time I find myself watering one spot in the yard in my dress shoes and a pair of sweats, I'm like, I am my dad. I'm like my dad. And I, that's, I blame every, all my weaknesses on my dad because of that. So there's no denying his influence in my life. The things he's taught me are beyond value. I mean, on a, on, on a, on a small scale too. I mean, I'm like him in the small ways. I, I root for the teams he roots for. Um, yes, I root for the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, because I love misery. So I root against the teams he roots against. I mean, I, I, you root against the teams my dad roots against? Okay. I was talking to somebody this week, and they, they were saved out of, um, I mean, this sounds, sounds bad. I'm not saying it's all bad, but they were saved out of NASCAR, okay? <laughs> so they were working in NASCAR. They worked for Joe Gibbs Racing Team. I mean, and had all kinds of cool opportunities. They know Joe Gibbs. I mean, just really some amazing stuff, and, and he's a pastor now. And, and so uh, he was telling me about working with Joe Gibbs and, and how much of a great Christian man Joe Gibbs is, and he, he wouldn't necessarily be just like us, but he's a very sincere, solid Christian man when Joe Gibbs signs. Now, if you don't know who Joe Gibbs, he owns a NASCAR racing team, um, and he used to coach the Washington Redskins in the NFL, former NFL coach. When he gives out autographs, he signs a track, a gospel track, and signs his autograph on the track and gives it out to anybody he signs an autograph for. You know, he's a good, solid Christian man. Well, he was telling me this week about Joe Gibbs. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I was like, man, when I was a kid, I hated Joe Gibbs. <laughs> he's like, what? what? Where did that come from? And it dawned on me, well, because Joe Gibbs coached the Washington Redskins. And when I was a kid, as a Dallas Cowboy fan, my dad hated the Washington Redskins. So just by default... I hated Joe Gibbs because that's what you do. You know, they're on the rivalry. I mean, I didn't know he was a good Christian man. You know, I just, that's just what you do. But, you know, it was just another evidence of the fact that, that my dad rubbed off on me. And the things that he likes, I like. The things that he doesn't like, I don't like. The silly, silly things 
that he used to do when I was growing up. I'm doing those things now to my kids. But he also taught me some very serious and helpful things. I mean, in pastoring, it, it takes faith to move your family from a very comfortable place in Abilene, Texas, where we were as I was 10 years old, to, to Wyoming, of all places. And to a church with just a couple of people and months and months and months and months behind on their mortgage payment and financial straits. And yet he went there by faith and, and, and just took a job and my, I watched my parents stick it out. And, and when you do, God can do great things and, and he did great things. And Uenda Bible Baptist Church is, is the name of the church there in Evanston, Wyoming. And, and this week, a full circle thing this week... I preached a camp in Idaho and, and, and I got up to preach and sitting there in the first few rows of that camp where there's the youth group from U, the Uinta Bible Baptist Church in Evanston, Wyoming. And there's probably 20 kids there from that church, they, 25 kids. And I was preaching to them and I used to be in that youth group years ago. And if my dad and my mom hadn't gone to that place and stuck it out like they did... There may not be a, a church or a youth group there at that camp because there probably wouldn't be a church there. I'm just thinking, man, thank you, Dad. Thanks for, thanks for teaching me those things. Thank, in, my, in trusting God, my, my sister, when I was 11 or my, and my sister was, was 13, um, she was diagnosed with, with uh, stage 4 non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. She, it's like leukemia and cancer and and, and uh, 13 years old as a middle school girl and, and they told her she's not they told us that she's not going to survive it uh, they told her that she wouldn't that she wasn't going to make it and so she started chemotherapy and, and went through 18 months of hard chemotherapy and, and a lot of tough moments and a lot of moments where you're not sure you know what direction it's going to go and yet through all of that my parents remained faithful to the Lord my dad never missed a message and they they didn't miss church. They were faithful and they stuck it out. And, and their testimony was seen by a lot of people and impacted a lot of people's lives. And my sister today, I'm thankful for God's grace. She's a very healthy mother of two, lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I mean, God did a miracle in her life. Think about my dad's faithfulness. And in the next few years, my parents will celebrate 50 years serving in the, in the full-time gospel ministry. And a lot of men that he went to school with or pastored at the same time with, they're nowhere to be found anymore. But he hasn't wavered from the truth. And God's blessed him for it, but he's the same now as he was when he started. He hasn't been influenced by, by something that would take him away from truth. I think thankful even for the rules they put in my life as a kid. I mean, he taught me the importance of being, of protecting yourself and protecting your holiness with standards. And it's not always easy uh, it wasn't always easy, but I appreciate that they held me to a higher standard. As, a, as an adult now, I, I, I can't imagine the things that, that I would have gotten into if they hadn't been willing to say no to some things. In their parenting, I would consider my parents to have been strict. I mean, the very first time that I, that I skipped school, honestly, the first time uh, in high school that I have a car now... And I have an option to skip school or skip a class. I skipped a class. And on that one day, because God is a sovereign God, <laughs> my parents came to school to put something in my car because it was my birthday. So they're driving around like, where is his car? 
Come to find out, smart guy here, skip school, one class, that's it. And my parents, when I got home, they were waiting for me in the living room. I hate that. <laughs> I walked in and they, they confronted me about it. And I said, well, my, literally all of my friends were in first lunch. I'm in second lunch. My friends were like, it's your birthday. Let's go out to lunch today. It's like, okay, I'll, I can skip one class. Six weeks I was grounded. <laughs> Six weeks. And I'm not bitter about it. I'm not, no, I mean, really, I'm just not one shred of bitterness in my heart about my parents because they held me to a higher standard. And I think, be, and I believe because they held me to a higher standard, they didn't let me just get by with a lot of those things. There are things in my life that I'm blessed with because my parents set that up in my life. I'm thankful for their devotions and their walk with God every morning, 6 o'clock. The Jet family was sitting at the table. I, I will not say that I was awake every time, but I was sitting there. And my parents instilled in me this thought that God comes first every day. No matter the sacrifice, no matter the time, we're going to get together. We're going to have family devotions and we're going to sit there and we're going we're to study God's word and read it. And before the day begins, we're going to do this together as a family. I got a lot of mantles from my dad, and I'm so thankful for him. But what I'm most thankful for is that my parents taught me it's not just about the mantles. It's about the God that makes the mantles worth having. And I'm thankful for his preaching. I'm thankful for his teaching, his correction, his faithfulness, and his faith in the tough times and all of those things, his standards, the rules, whatever. I'm thankful for all that. I'm thankful, but I never wondered once if my parents were just doing it for the objects. They had a sincere and obvious walk with God, and they still haven't let go of it. They still have a passionate walk with God, and when we go stay with them in, in, at times, then um, I'll wake up. If I ever wake up real early, my dad, I know he's already down in the living room with the lamp and the Bible. And he is walking with God because for him, it's not about a mantle, it's about a person. And we need to be sure in transferring our faith, dads, to the next generation that we don't just hand them coats. We teach them to love God with all their hearts and soul and mind. And don't settle just for the outward Christian life because not only is it empty, but it's not pleasing to God. But teach them to love their Lord, their God, with all their heart, soul, and mind. And Elisha got a lot from Elijah in this transfer. He, he laid his mantle on him. He challenged him to follow God's plan. He trained him. He received a double portion of Elijah's spirit. But above that, he received from Elijah the realization that what gave everything meaning was a personal relationship with God. And there's nothing more rewarding in life than personal fellowship with God. That's the life that matters. It's not about the mantles. And if you're passing mantles down or receiving them from somebody else, we just need to remember if we lose sight of the person behind the mantle, then we choose to live for the mantles of God instead of the God of the mantles. And this week, as I, I, as I was thinking about this message uh, it came to me that there are three kinds of homes. And over here, if we're going to go weak to strong, okay, so a home over here would be weak, strong, stronger. 
And over here, you have the what home. Okay, it's the what home. Meaning over here, this is the home that focuses on the rules. And it focuses, this is what we do. These are the mantles we have. It's the what home. This is how we act. This is how we behave. This is what we do. And there are plenty of homes like that, the what home. But then you've got a home that will be stronger than that. You've got the why home. Meaning that, yes, we've got the what, but we also have reasons why. And those reasons why help us to develop the what. Because, and we, we want to make sure we can explain the what. And this is good for our children. There are times where our children just need to hear, here's what we do because we do it. But we also, the older we get, need to explain why, moms and dads. So you've got the what, but you have the why. And that's a weak home. And this is a stronger home. But you know what the strongest home of all is? The strongest home is the who home. Meaning it's not about what, and it's not really even about why, it's, it's about who. And who is God. And if you make your home about the who, then the whys come in the line and the whats make sense. Because you're not just doing it for religious activity. You're doing it for a person, a God in heaven, the creator and the redeemer. Not only did he create the heaven and the earth, but he sent his son to die on a cross for our sins in our place. And a God like that doesn't deserve to be followed just because of, well, just with what's or mantles or just with why's because here's some, you know, very logical reasons. No, no, we do what we do because this person right here, the who, makes it all worth it. And we love him and we serve him and we follow him and that helps us fall in line with our why's and our what's. But really the strongest home is the who home. And the who home is about God. It's about a person. And parents, we must live in such a way that our children will start asking, where's the Lord God of my mom and dad? Your relationship with God affects your daily life. It's real. It's vibrant. It should be consistent, genuine. So what are you most passionate about? The mantles or the God of the mantles? Children who are receiving I just want to tell you this, refuse just to live for the mantles. Now, embrace the mantles because they're, they're things your parents put into place. But don't just settle for the what or even for the why. Come over here and remind yourself every day as you receive these things from your family, from your dad and your mom, say it's not about the what or why, it's about the who. And I, I'm going to have a relationship with God. I'm going to make it about that daily walk with him and then for some of those in here, I mean, we all fit one of those categories. We're either handing down the mantles or we're receiving them from somebody. But let me just tell you this, this, all of this goes back for everybody in here. It goes back to your relationship with God. And your relationship with God begins, some of you in here, you've never, you've never met the Lord. And you have, you've got to come to the place where you say, I know that I'm a sinner. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. I know that the penalty for my sin is separation from God for eternity. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. And I know that my sin has separated me from God, but I also know God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he died in my place to pay for my sins. And if I would simply receive that payment, believe it, repent of my sin, turn to Jesus Christ in faith, trust him alone as the person then I can begin a walk with God today. You can have a relationship with God right now. If you'd be willing to humble yourself, and I'm telling you, we have an invitation in a moment, just humble yourself. 
And you come down here, we've got some people that would love to show you from God's word how when you leave this place today, you're no longer under the penalty of sin for eternity. You can walk out of here and knowing Christ, knowing that you're on your way to heaven forever. It just takes you having some courage to make that decision. But all of these things we're talking about, the, the who, the walk with God, they all begin at that moment of salvation. You can't have the who if you never place your faith in Jesus Christ. So wherever the application falls today, I would just encourage dads. Would you just make sure that your children, what they're getting from you, is not just the what, it's not just the why, it's the who. Where is the Lord God of my dad? And let's make sure that we're transferring that to our children. Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I appreciate your attention. But the most important part of this service, honestly, the most important part of this service is happening right now. The reason it matters is if you could just have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, the reason it matters is because there are some that need to make eternal decisions right now. And your decision right now really could set the course of the rest of your life. If we have a dad in here and you've been, you, you haven't really been concerned about your relationship with God, you've mostly just been about the rules, You've mostly just been about survival. You've mostly just been about maybe the logic. Maybe you've been more of a peer to your children. And, and you've got to show them, no, as your dad, my walk with you or with God matters the most. The most important thing to me is the who. And I haven't been doing that very well in front of my children. Would you, would you maybe take a moment to pray to the Lord this morning and get that right? Make it about the who again. For those of you that receive mantles, some of our young people, maybe you, rather than getting hung up on the mantle, if you look past the mantle and realize there's a who behind it, I'm telling you, it'll give a lot more meaning. If you're resenting the mantles that you're receiving this morning, if you make it about the who, I'm telling you, it will change your perspective. Maybe we've got some young people that need to get that right this morning. Maybe you're in here and you don't know that you're saved. Let me just tell you this, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And he wants to save you this morning. If you would simply submit yourself, come right down here, nobody will embarrass you. We've got some men and ladies that could show you from God's word how you can know for sure that you'll spend eternity in heaven when you die. Don't risk that. Today's the day to make that decision. However God's speaking, I'm going to pray that we have the verse of invitation, Brother Samuel will sing, and you have an opportunity to respond. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth. And I pray that you'd speak and move. Give us courage to step out if you've spoken to us, God. I think every one of us have some way that this message could apply to us. And I pray that you'd help us to be submissive to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.